Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. The Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. And after 22 years, Raymond The Sickest NHL Podcast. It's going to be sick. All right, so here we are on the eye test. Pierre McGuire, Jimmy Murphy here. Pierre, the World Juniors are, are heading now to the semifinals. And for once in a long time, what is it? I don't even know the years here, but uh, in a long time, Canada will not be playing for a medal. And, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people are stunned. But when you look at this tournament, look at that team here, I don't think you should be that surprised. I mean, there's a lot of good competition out there. And the Czechs came to play, and they outplayed Canada. Oh, there's no question about it, Jimmy. I mean, hats off to the Czechs, and you know the way they played was formidable. You think about last year; um, it was amazing to think about. You know, Canada with Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli um, and Shane Wright. They almost lost to the Czechs uh, in Halifax. So it shows you how tight the margins are at the World Junior. But I think the biggest thing is. The Canadians had an opportunity to do some serious damage. They dominated the last 40 minutes of that game. They couldn't find a way to score, and you could just see they became very fragile heading into overtime. Or yeah. into, Sorry, heading into the later parts of the game. They weren't nearly as good as they needed to be, especially when it came to hitting the net. They just weren't good enough. Pierre, and look, a lot of people right now around you know hockey in Canada specifically – are saying, oh, well, you know what? They didn't have their best players. A lot of players didn't get released from the NHL to the team. And, you know, I don't think the Canadian team is doing that. I don't think Hockey Canada is doing that. But a lot of people in the media, a lot of fans are saying that. And, hey, a lot of teams don't have all their best players. There's still some players from different countries that are still playing in the NHL or just didn't come. Uh, it is what it is. And you can't just blame it on that. Sometimes you got to just give credit where credit's due. And Czechia... Won this game fair and square. Well, I'm glad you said that because uh, there are no other countries that have Connor Bedard. Nobody has Adam Fantilli. Kevin Korczynski's having a great rookie year in the NHL playing for the Chicago Blackhawks. Zach Benson is an 18-year-old playing pretty darn well for the Buffalo Sabres. Shane Wright is doing a tremendous job in the American Hockey League right now, and it won't be that much longer before he's playing uh, in the NHL regularly with Seattle. And you think about uh, Tristan Luno, who, you know, got sick just before the tournament, and he's an Anaheim draft. A lot of NHL or a lot of world junior teams don't have those players. So yeah. that's just the reality of the whole thing. But here's another thing, Jimmy, and I think this is really important. The Russians weren't there. And when the Russians aren't there, the dynamic of the tournament changes because they are a lethal threat every time they play in a world junior. They may not win all the time, and they don't. Canada, United States, Finland, they cause problems in that tournament. But the Russians are really good, and they weren't there. And this was kind of a wasted opportunity, I think, for the Canadians. And that's why I think you're seeing how the angst and the animosity and the anger uh, from the Canadian fan base. What do you have to say, Pierre, to the to the crowd also that says that Canada needs to go back to just letting skill play instead of trying to almost construct it like it's an NHL team or a pro team where you know guys have certain roles and you you, know, you have the bottom six plays a huge role as well. People are saying maybe you got to just let the talent go over there and let the talent adapt. I kind of agree with that, but part of me says, no, I, I, 
I understand what Canada is doing there. So I'm a little conflicted on that. Piece. One of the best world junior coaches I've ever seen uh, is Brent Sutter. Mm-hmm. And Brent did a magnificent job with the 2005 team uh, in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and did just this unbelievable job with the 2006 team in Vancouver. Nobody, nobody thought that 06 World Junior team had a chance in mm-hmm. Vancouver. And Brent did it. And Brent did it his way. And his way was hard. It was physical. It was fast. It was skillful. It was nasty in a lot of instances, but he found a way to get it done. And I think it's more than rather use the players. I think it comes down to a coaching template as well. Mm-hmm. As right after that, Craig Hartsburg uh, did a fantastic job in Sweden in 07 and did a tremendous job in uh, part of beats in the Czech Republic in 08. Those are back-to-back goals. And then Canada kind of lost their way. Yeah, that's right. Canada didn't win in Saskatoon. The United States won. Uh Uh, Canada didn't win in Buffalo in 2011. Uh, Russians won. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Canada kind of lost their way. They won five straight, but they kind of lost their way a little bit too. And people need to remember that. Yeah, for sure. And I guess I just like some people are liking it back to, uh, what was it? Was it the 98 World Cup team that was sort of, you know, built more on roles as opposed to skill, uh, not World Cup, the Olympics, the Olympics, yeah, yeah. Olympics built more on, on roles as, as opposed to skill. And they, they felt like that kind of backfired against Canada there. And I heard some people saying it was a similar situation here. I, I think that's kind of a stretch. Uh, it's a very large stretch. Um, you can't even equate the two situations. The truth of the matter is the 98 team, they basically went off a model on a roster. And I'll give you an example. And I like the guy a lot, Rob Zamner. Rob mm-hmm. Zander was put on that team as a checker. And I know that Bob Clark thought the world of him, one of the general managers. Pierre Gauthier thought the world of him, one of the general managers. Bob Gainey thought the world of him. So all these great hockey guys thought that Rob Zander was going to be a difference maker. And that's when Canada said, you know what, enough with the ghost rosters. Let's just load up and go with the best players. And if you look at the 0-2 uh, Olympic team that Wayne Gretzky and his group put together – they just went, we're going to just outskill you. We're going to outmuscle you and we're going to outskill you. And that roster form kind of took hold, not just in international play for Canada, but at the Olympic level and World Cup level, but also at the World Junior level for a long time. That was one of my favorite uh, Olympics ever when it comes to hockey, 2002. It was just, even though I'm American and, and it was a heartbreaking loss, I mean, how could you not love that game? I mean, you you were there, Pierre. What, oh, I was there working. Yeah. And what was that like? Jimmy, I have to share this with you, and, and I say this out of respect to Herb Brooks's family, so I hope somebody can get the tape to them. One of the most amazing afternoons of my life, I was with Bob McKenzie of TSN and Gordon Miller of TSN. We worked together the entire Olympics. We were at the airport, and there was a huge flight delay. We had to fly from Salt Lake to San Francisco, San Francisco on a red eye to Toronto. Mm-hmm. And we were sitting um, in an establishment in the airport in Salt Lake, <laughs> And Herb Brooks walked in, and he had just coached the American team. Now, it wasn't 1980. It was 2002. And if you were to ask Gordon Bob, they might agree with me, but I just want hockey fans to know this. This was one of the most amazing, dynamic conversations I've ever witnessed. Mm -hmm. And it was all Herb talking and Gord, Bob, and myself just listening. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about the responsibility of people in broadcasting, the ability to grow the game, the passion people have for the game on the prairie, 
what you need to do to reach out to bring the next wave of fan in the greatness or the potential greatness of women's hockey and how it can grow. And he was talking about the great Canadian wow. U.S. gold medal game in 02. So this was, I'm telling you, it was like a two and a half to three hour conversation. We didn't talk. We wow. listened. And Herb was amazing. He, he was amazing. And every time I saw him after that, um, it was eye opening and I'd always kind of subtly remind him and, and he would say, yeah, it was a lot of fun that afternoon. It was good. Wow, and that's kind of apropos, obviously, to what we have going on right now with the first professional women's league starting up. Yeah. He 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 was a visionary, I guess, huh? I mean, he could see that. Well, I think if you talk to any of the people that he was around uh, when he was a player back in Minnesota back in the 50s and then obviously not making the 60 Olympic team and then being the coach of the 80 Olympic team and the forethought he had to be that coach and the style of play he implemented for the Americans and what he was able to do. Uh, phenomenal. And, you know, people forget this. He was an innovator when he was coaching the New York Rangers. And yeah. People forget that. And Lou Lamorello was a hard guy. I mean, to impress Lou Lamorello is hard to do. Lou brought Herb Brooks in to coach his American Hockey League team Wow. in Utica, New York. I mean, people forget all these things. And it's really important to understand the dynamic of history that Herb Brooks played in so many situations, whether it was at the college level in Minnesota, whether it was at the Olympic level, obviously, with Team USA, whether it was at the minor pro level, uh, whether it was being a visionary for really caring about all things hockey, or whether it was in the National Hockey League. Herb Brooks was an innovator. He's a fantastic innovator. Awesome, awesome stuff. Well, let's get back to that game, uh, you know, Canner and check here. And I want to go to this goal call right now, Pierre, and it's something I know Canadian fans are probably sick and tired of hearing it by this point. It's only been just over 24 hours. But I want you to tell us about the young man that scored it, Jacob Stancil, right after. But let's listen to this call one more time. Paychuk. Looks ahead for Demay. The pass too far for him. Sabolka plays that back for check. 20 seconds to go in the third. Bremont works in. Drops it back to Beher. And now Stancil should score. Stancil with a shot that deflected by Rousseau. And with 11 seconds to go in the third, the Czechs have retaken the lead. Open the score. Yeah, that's it's tough. It's tough to hear. I know Canadians, but you got to admit it was a nice goal. And uh, he's just doing what he's supposed to in that situation, period. Just get it on net and anything can happen. I know they tell us that throughout our hockey lives, and it becomes kind of a, just a, you know, a, a, a cheesy way to say it, but it's true. It, it It's the absolute truth, and that proved it right there. Get it on net and anything can happen. That was his second goal of the game. And, you know, he's a bigger body. He moves really well. Um, a tournament that obviously will continue for Stancil and the Czech Republic. But, Jimmy, you couldn't be more correct. At the end of the game, what are you supposed to do? Shoot the puck in the corner? No, just get it to the net. Yeah. I felt really bad uh, for Radic Bong's son, Oliver. Uh, he yeah. was the defenseman who the puck went off of and carried him into the net. It was just one of those amazing plays. That, the right thing, right? Yeah, he's just doing the right thing. Absolutely. What that play, when I'm watching that, now this wasn't the gold medal game, but for the Americans that are watching this, this is important. In mm -hmm. 2004, the Americans had never won World Junior Gold. They were playing in Helsinki, Finland. They were playing against a really good Canadian team. Mark Andre Fleury was a starting goalie for the second year in a row for Canada. He was a starting goalie the year before in Halifax. Right. Mark Andre Fleury went to clear the puck in the gold medal game against the Americans. He shot it off of Braden Coburn. Patrick O'Sullivan was the nearest player to Braden Coburn. Patrick O'Sullivan got credit for the goal. It was probably the first 
time that he ever got a gold medal winning goal in my opinion <laughs> I can remember for Patrick. Um, and it was the first time the Americans ever won a gold medal with the World Junior. Yeah. When I saw that play yesterday, I said, this is like 04 all over again. Yeah. And I, I was in an optimistic way trying to say, yes, Oliver Bonk's going to be upset. And that had to be painful for him. But I saw what happened to Braden Colburn, who had the same thing happen. He went on to have an amazing NHL career. Marc-Andre Fleury's still playing. So yeah. even though there's bitter disappointment there, guys can still go on and, and have careers. And I hope that's going to be the case for Bonk in particular um, and Rousseau, the goaltender for Canada. That was unfortunate for them. Yeah, and you know it's interesting you say that because the talk right now here, obviously Matthew Poitra is coming. Patra is coming back to Boston right now. Uh, he may have landed by now, and you know a lot of people are are saying, "Well, was it worth it?" I, I I hate that that they say that, but it's what's being said right now on the airwaves here in Boston. Was it worth it for him to go over there? And and I say, of course it was. It doesn't matter if you won or lost. And and furthermore, I'll be honest, Pierre, I almost feel like him that that loss that pain that he's feeling right now and just will inspire him more. If he's a strong person and a strong player, which I believe he is, I think that helps him going forward. Just like you, you said, it helped for the Canadian players there in 04. I think it helps toughen guys up and, and they learn from this. And that's how you become a true professional. One of the things that I was really looking forward to, not in a negative way, but a positive way, is how the young players reacted and the coaching staff reacted afterwards. You could bury your head in the sand and point fingers and say all negative things, but most of the, in fact, all the sound bites I saw and heard, especially Poitras, which I thought was fantastic, yeah. um, basically saying, I feel like I let a bunch of people down and I feel like I let my country down. I know some people are going to say, oh my gosh, that's a little over excessive that's that's exaggerated that's how those guys feel of course they're just being totally honest with you and i think that's a big part of the process is being transparent i like to use that word a lot it wasn't a word that i knew when i was younger i didn't i didn't understand it i think once you get into the media side of things and you see people that aren't transparent and then you see people that are transparent you notice there's a big difference in their character and how they gauge themselves so I appreciate the people that are transparent. You may not always like what they have to say, but they're putting it out there for you. And I think what Matthew did yesterday was tremendous and a big step forward, even though they're not bringing back a medal, especially the gold one, which is what Canada goes for whenever they go. There is a lot of positive, I think, for Matthew in particular, going back to an NHL situation. I'm with you. And, and you know, that's why we, we see, Pierre, that – you know, maybe back in the day, it, it wasn't as focused on, but character is such a big thing when you're looking at these young players and they're coming into the league. It's it's everything almost. Like, it, you can have the most skilled player in the world, but if he doesn't have character like that and he can't, and he can't act that way when things go wrong, I don't want him on my team. I'm sorry. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a question because we don't, we don't rehearse. We talk, but we don't rehearse. So I told you about the 4 World Junior and Canada lost. Mark Andre Fleury shot the puck off of Braden Coburn. Patrick O'Sullivan got credit for the goal. Mm -hmm. Both those guys went on to have great careers. There was a 16-year-old player on Team Canada at the time. His name's Sidney Crosby. He's the youngest player to ever score a goal for Canada at the World Junior. He did it in that tournament. The next year, I was sitting in Grand Forks, North Dakota, watching a practice with Kevin Lowe, Wayne Gretzky, Brent Sutter, and Gordon Miller. 
That's who I was with watching the practice. Not too shabby. <laughs> and Gretz looks over at everybody and he says, this guy can't miss. And we're like, who's he talking about? We thought he was talking about somebody shooting at the net. He goes, that guy can't miss. And he's talking about Crosby. He says, look at his work habits. It's unbelievable how hard he works. Like his character is insane. Yeah. He was right on. He couldn't have been more right on. And then in that tournament, anybody that was there will tell you the line of Corey Perry, Patrice Bergeron, Sidney Crosby was crazy. They just dominated. It was, yep. I mean, it was unbelievable. But my point is to build off of you, character does matter. Yeah. And that's if you watch an NHL game today that Sidney Crosby's playing in, yeah, there's no quit. Oh, yeah. And we're going to get to that later for there's sure. There's no quitting this guy. Like, I'm telling you, Pittsburgh's relevant right now and still in the playoff discussion because they have Sidney Crosby. If he's that's not there, they're not even they're where Columbus is. I'm telling you right now. Yep. They're where Buffalo is right now. They're yep. where Ottawa is right now. Yeah. Those I teams know. don't have anybody like him. I know. And you know, it, I was play, I was lucky enough to cover Patrice Bergeron for so long. And the same thing. I mean, the character he had on I I, I don't mean to sidetrack here, but you know, whatever. We like telling stories on this podcast, and I think that's why our listeners like us as well. Pierre, I'll just never forget game six when they lost to the Blackhawks. And I'm in that, and I got down in the dressing room a little early, and I, I, I don't know how I kind of slid in. I'm not, I really probably wasn't supposed to be in there that early, and you know, most of the guys were in the back in, in the weight room or whatever, just tr trying to gather themselves before they came out to, to face us. And and I see Patrice Bergeron come out, and he's just stumbling to get across the room, and he looks up and he sees me, and he's like, Murph, I, I need your help. And I had to go over there and I had to just kind of talk to him and kind of guide him along. We're talking. He comes over and he's getting ready for the media to come in. And I'm just sort of standing next to him. And I don't know how he's staying up here. And then he goes on to tell us what, and you know what he played through in that game, broken ribs, dislocated shoulder, punctured lung. And he still battled through it. And it wasn't just for that game. It was a previous game as well. And, and I'm just, I'm just sitting there in complete disbelief of what I am seeing. And I don't, I think at that point and going forward to this point, that's 2013. I've never in that one moment, I've never again had that much respect. Like I have a lot of respect for all these guys, but that one moment was something I'll never forget. Just the respect and the admiration and the awe that I had for Patrice Bergeron in that moment. There's nobody that wins that cup as a player. Um, and I would even say the training staff and the coaching staff, there's nobody that ever wins that cup that hasn't gone through a whole heck of a lot of something that if you don't have a ton of character, you're not getting through it. Yeah. Um, you know, the trainers in particular, the long nights, the, the game seven moments earlier in the playoffs, the, the guys that are the medical trainers that have to really work with the doctors, they're not sleeping at all. These guys, I'm just telling you, the assistant coaches that are breaking down tapes, they're running practices for the extra players. People don't realize how much goes into a playoff run. And, and so my, my thing on that is I'll never forget when Boland and Bickle were scoring for Chicago, the B&B, mm -hmm. um, I looked over at the Bruins bench and Claude Julian kept saying, and he was so spot on. It just shows you how much is missed when you don't have somebody down there working the games. And he kept saying, boys, get on your toes, get on your toes. You're on your heels right now. You got to get back on your toes. And he kept saying it. And I, he was so right on. He wasn't yelling and screaming, but he's yeah. trying to goad his guys and get to another level. And they just couldn't get there. And I think part of it, um, and I asked Dano Char about this before that game six, 
I, I asked them the question, I'm paraphrasing, but I can tell you it's kind of like this. They think they have you hurt, do they? And he says, we'll see. He was hurt. Yeah. Most of those Bruins were hurt, you know, and, and so you're so spot on with Patrice. I think, Jimmy, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't he have to go to a, a wedding? It might even have been his own, and he couldn't walk into the wedding from yep. all, from yep. the a couple weeks yeah. later, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was hurting for a while from that, but it just you, – you're there. You like you have to be there, and you've, you've been down in those moments, period, when, when you're between the benches, and you get it. But just for our listeners out there, when you when you start to learn what these guys were going through – and I'll tell you, as a writer, man, you feel guilty at, at times. You're like, oh, geez, I didn't mean to criticize you in that article I wrote uh, a few days <laughs> <Yeah>. back. Uh, <laughs> what? And, and it, it, you know, I was younger then, and it teaches you – to remember that in the back of your head, you know, next time I'm going to sit there and, and jump on a guy and say, well, why the heck didn't he get to that puck? Or why, why wasn't he digging deeper in the corners? Well, maybe he was going through something I didn't know. And that could be physically or mentally. And you know, that that's what that moment taught me was just to always remember that. Yeah. I'm going to have to criticize guys. I'm not going to hold back, but at the same time, I'm going to, I'm going to do it with a little sympathy in the back, a, a little empathy, so to speak. Uh, to understand what they might be going through. Uh, that's really well said, and it's a great uh, life lesson for a lot of people that do work in the media. I'll give you one more, and then I know we've got some other things we want to get across yeah. to. Um, in, in 92, we were on our second cup run in Pittsburgh, and we had made a trade at the trade deadline. This was Craig Patrick, understanding the art of team building, bringing in Shell Samuelson and Kenny Reagan and Rick Pocket. And what I remember the most that, from that playoff run, and there was a lot, we were down – three games to one to Washington. We had to win game five and seven on the road. We were able to do that. Um, you know, I can go down the line, all the different things we had to do uh, in that playoff run. It's the only team, Jimmy, and you need to know this for your records. Yep. It's the only team that won 11 straight games to win the Stanley Cup. They won their last three against the Rangers in the second round, mm -hmm. all four against Boston uh, in the third round in the Eastern final and beat Chicago in four straight. But along the way, one of our top shutdown defensemen, Michelle Samuelson, we had just gotten in a trade. And he came up to me once. He says, I can barely hold my stick. And I say, oh, that's no good. And I go, have you seen the trainer? He goes, yeah, I've seen the trainer. And he goes, well, what do you have to do? He says, I got to get injections. I'm like, okay. Um, are you all right with that? And he goes, 100%. But he goes, I want you to come with me because I'm not a fan of needles. So ah. before, before every game – we would sit in the training room and all the guys would have to leave and he would grab and he had huge, you know, Shell's a big guy. Yeah, yeah. So he would grab my arm with his free hand and he they put the needle in yep. and he would be like squeezing the harder he squeezed him. He'd be like, Oh my gosh, this must be killing the guy. Yep. Anyways, we did that the rest of the playoff. I forget what round it happened in, but I remember going into game four, he had the shot and he said to me, he goes, we're winning today because I can't do any more of this stuff. I'm yeah. not done with this. Yeah, that's it's it's amazing when you see guys like that that are so big and tough and the littlest thing. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing. Of all the misunderstood guys I ever had a chance and the privilege to work with, he was probably the most misunderstood. His passion to play, he accepted his role unbelievably. Yeah. He was a, such a loyal teammate in so many ways, and he just told it like it was. If the team was no good, he said, we stunk. You know, and if he was no good, he'd be the first guy to say, Jesus, I was bad. You know, he just he, I'm every time I see him on the road, he's a scouting now, and I, I just think the world of him. I have so much respect and admiration for Big Show. 
Well, we'll get back to the NHL in a bit. I just want to finish up a little more World Juniors, Pierre, with you. Yeah. And let's get to the USA team here. And obviously a lot of Americans down this way are pretty happy with how that team is playing in the World Juniors. And they were expected to do well, but they're delivering. There's a difference between being expected to, to play real well and challenge for gold and actually delivering. And right now they're delivering in a big way. And Pierre, one kid that's really impressed me, and we get to see him a lot in this neck of the woods here at Boston College, is Gabe Perot. And I want to just ask you, before we play these two clips, um, how close is he in terms of style to his dad, do you think? Or are they just different players? They're different players. His dad, I saw his dad play junior in Trois-Rivières. His dad was a phenomenal, phenomenal player. Um, he was a great face-off guy. Uh, back in the day when he was scouting for Chicago, I did a lot of games for NBC at Notre Dame. And I'd see Yannick on the road a lot. And uh, – Gabe is different. Gabe is really slick. He's got unbelievably crafty hands. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the stuff he does with the puck is amazing. Yannick was really talented. Do not get me wrong. I don't think he had the hand skills that, that Gabe has. But, you know, you talk about those Boston College guys, Perot, Leonard, and Smith, all first-rounders. Perot's a first-rounder of the Rangers. Leonard's a first-rounder of Washington. Smith's a first-rounder of San Jose. You know, <laughs> Doug Brown's a really good friend of mine, the coach there. Like he's, yeah, we've had I, him in the show. I don't know how long he's going to have these guys. Yeah. And they're not the only three. I yep. mean, you know, you look at their depth and goal. Um, Jacob Fowler, I don't know how much longer he'll be around there. You look at their depth on defense. I mean, they've done a great job there. But those three players, and Pearl in particular, phenomenal, Jimmy. Really, well, really good. Let's listen to the two goals uh, that Pearl got yesterday in that game and that big win for Team USA, and, and, and then we'll talk a little more about him. But more specifically, I want to talk about what you just brought up, that line, because th that's a huge factor right now for USA. But let's listen to these goals. Back to the front of the net. Deflection save made, and the rebound chopped away. Held in by Casey. Backdoor score. Open net for Gabe Parole on a great feed from Seamus Casey. Top gets tied up, dishes it off. Puck control here for Team USA. In front of the net, deflected, score! Pass was coming for Gabe Perot. Don't know if he was the last one to touch it or not. Oh, he touched it. He batted it in. A little... <laughs> oh, yes, he was, Dennis. It was him. Don't you worry. Uh, listen, Pierre, I, you know, I'm texting back. I've told you about my friend Jay who listens to us out in L.A. And uh, we were texting back and forth watching this, and he you know, we're talking about just the fact that how lucky USA is to have that line with these three players that are already so familiar with themselves yeah. that have this built-in chemistry in a tournament that really you have to form chemistry in such a hurry. It's a very difficult task and it, and it can be a huge difference in whether you advance or not. So to have that already in your lineup, how much of an advantage is that for USA? Substantial. It's a great point. A lot of times Canada, when they were looking at these situations, and I speak to that only because I was around their training camp so much, they try to put twosomes together rather than threesomes because it was easier to do. Okay. Um, they knew they had Crosby and Bergeron was a great tandem. So whomever they added there, in the case of 05, they added Corey Perry. I use that as an example. But in other times I've seen, you know, where Canada would have Mike Richards and Jeff Carter. Um, even though both were natural centermen, but then they would switch it up. But that's what you try to do. But that is a huge advantage, mm -hmm. huge, huge advantage. We got three guys 
that have that instantaneous chemistry and have been doing it for most of the year for Doug Brown or, or sorry, for Greg Brown over at, uh, over at Boston College. For sure. All right. Well, listen, there's one last thing I want to say, not, not to discard, disregard Sweden as well or Finland. No. Great performances by them as well. Um, but I want to talk, Pierre, about a guy that you know and you've dealt with in the media, probably you know more, more than me, and it was his last game at the World Juniors yesterday uh, in that Finland game that they won in overtime, and that's Dennis Bayak. So let's go to his last goal call right now and then also his goodbye uh, after that game. Dr. Seuss, he said, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. You happened to all of us. You're well, a special person. You're a special friend to so many people. And everybody loves you. Everybody appreciates what you've done. And what you've given us is something we'll never forget. Thank you. Uh, it's been a terrific ride. And uh, I have met so many good people along the way. And the games are the games. and and. I'll never forget the 2016 World Junior in, in Finland. It was outstanding uh, how uh, the Toronto people took to the Denmark team, how the Victoria people took to the Kazakhstan team. Mm -hmm. But it's the people that I've spent these tournaments with that uh, that have made it all worthwhile and made it all so much fun. So to everyone, thank you very much, and thank you for this. It's oh. been outstanding. Class. Yeah, no, a gentleman. Uh, I've known him a long time. I, I texted with him yesterday uh, after the game was over, his last call. It was fitting that uh, it was Finland beating Slovakia in, in a beautiful goal, by the way, by the captain of Finland. Um, you know, Dennis is a guy, for those that are really familiar with hockey, who basically started uh, with the Flin Flon Bombers in the Western Hockey League. And that's a long way from anywhere. And not a lot of easy trips there. You know, the great Bob Clark is a legendary Flin Flon player. But I, I remember talking to the late, great Patty Janelle, who was a longtime scout in the NHL and a longtime coach in the Western Hockey League. Teddy Hampson, uh, who's still, I think, doing some scouting work. But it's, it's really an interesting thing. So Flin Flon, back in the 1950s, when their teams really became, you know, legendary, one of the things they promised their teams when they would go to the Memorial Cup is if you won, you had a job for life in the mine. I'm not kidding you. Wow. And so I talked to Patty Janelle and Teddy about this. I've never had a chance to talk to Dennis Bayak about it, but they, they told me, and I've been to Flin Flon before, and I could see, I mean, it's tough. Um, you know why Bob Clark was such a good player and such a tough guy. You, you know why Teddy Hampson was such a tough player and such a, a, a guy. He's a great guy. And Patty Janelle was tough as nails. Um, so all these people came out of there, and they, they were great hockey people. But Dennis Bayak comes out of there. He's like one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. <laughs> he's an awesome human being. I don't know if he's ever had a bad day, but uh, I know one thing. He made a lot of Canadian hockey fans really happy for a long time, and he made a lot of – Winnipeg Jet fans happy for a long time. I think the last 11 or 12 years of his career, he broadcast Winnipeg Jet games, and he did a really good job with that. Yeah, it's great. You know, and there's so many like that in our business, Pierre. So we wish him the best and uh, good luck and enjoy retirement. And 
Uh, thanks for all the calls over the years. All right, let, let's get into some NHL right now, Pierre. And, you know, you, you already brought it up there, and we are going to talk about Crosby a little because it goes right in with what I want to play this clip from Jim Montgomery. Um, for those that didn't watch it, on New Year's Eve, the, the Bruins and the Red Wings played. It was the third time they had played. And the first two times, the Red Wings have really gotten the best out of the Boston Bruins. And it there's some animosity building up between these two teams. And, man, it just makes you want those division games to happen more often than they do right now. And this was a perfect example why. And it was, it was rough from the get-go, Pierre. It was just one of those games where you could tell – these guys weren't gonna uh they weren't gonna get out of there without feeling anything afterwards. And there was just a lot of after the whistle stuff, specifically on Brad Marshan and David Pasternak. And look, that's part of the game. You've talked to us about, you know, the penguins in the playoffs in those years when you guys won those back-to-back cups. That yeah, you 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 target star players and you do that. But you know, in the last 15 years or so, the league has obviously tried to minimize that and protect its stars, but Lately, it feels like things are a little like the wild, wild rest out there, especially when it comes to star players uh, getting hits after the whistle or, or what have you. And Jim Montgomery just completely unprompted. It was actually – it was in the middle of an answer on how Jeremy Swayman played in the win for the Bruins over the Red Wings on Sunday just goes into this rant about protecting stars. So let's listen to it. It was terrific. Um, you know, I, I thought – uh, several key saves, especially uh, early and then in the second when we got hemmed in our zone quite a bit. Uh, I do think, though, you know, like uh, there was a game plan they had to go after Pasternak and Marshawn. And, and I do think that, you know, we need to protect the stars in our league. You know, uh, when, when guys are getting cross-checked and stuff after whistles, I think that's something that um, needs to be you know, important to the league. You know, we've seen it several years with McDavid. Uh, last year he had several points, but the years before, you know, in the playoffs, they allowed people to maul him. And you don't want to take away the great skill of a McDavid, a Pasternak, a Marshawn, because that's what this league is about. Yeah. There, there was a there was a nasty factor to this early. Sherrod pokes uh, Geeky in the face there, but you could feel punched. it. Punched. Punched. Yeah. yeah. You, you could feel it sort of churning. Is that a function of what you're saying that they were going after? That Yeah, that's a function of it, right? It all started by um, someone bodying pasta. And that, no problem with body contact. But, you know, when extra shoves get high and there's no real reason for it, that's that's what we want to clean up. I, I love how he, he, you know, and that's our, our good friend Kevin Paul DuPont. Yeah. We're going to get on this uh, podcast very soon. Um, you know, he, he made sure he, no, he didn't poke him. He, he, he punched him there, but uh, you know, it was interesting that he brought this up here because then last night we see Sidney Crosby, who by the way, doesn't get in my eyes, has never, and continues to not get enough credit for all the abuse he takes physically and all the, the traffic that he fights through in front of the net or in the corners for a superstar, um, Goes and scores this goal. And I want to just get to this, and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk on this for a second. Here's Crosby's goal last night. Carlson, Malkin. Here's Gensel. Shot. Deflected. Score! Sidney Crosby. It's a power play goal. One for Obi, one for Sid. It's his 21st goal of the year. And the Capitals lead is now 4-2. to two. I mean, look, Pierre, you brought it up earlier, and we'll talk about our thoughts on Crosby's season, but just talk about 
what you think of what Montgomery said, and, and then also just how maybe sometimes, like I was saying to you off air today, sometimes though the stars got to fight through this. It's just the way it is. It, it is, but I think what Jimmy was doing there uh, is setting the template with the league going forward. Yeah, uh, people will hear those comments. They'll digest them, especially at the league level. They'll probably evaluate the tape again, even though they watch every game. Uh, they'll see what's going on. I, I, again, I remember the master of this. Ken Hitchcock was very good at this. Um, I think Mark Crawford was very good at it back in the day. Scotty Bowman was, without a doubt, the best. Mike Keenan was really good at it. They would manipulate situations so that they did protect their stars, so okay. that their stars had more room to run. That's all part of being a good coach. If your star players aren't producing and staying healthy, you're not going to be a coach for very long because mm -hmm. you're only as good as your star player when it comes to winning time, and winning time is in the playoffs. So I think Jim was obviously trying to establish a certain level that is deemed acceptable. And he stayed really far away from one thing. He never said, if it's not taken care of by the league, we'll take care of it ourselves. Yeah. If you notice that, he was ever the diplomat. He was really smart in how he did it. So I think the league will appreciate that. The people around the league that make these decisions will appreciate that. Referees will appreciate that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that was really well done by Jim. He took a question about his goaltending and switched the narrative to something that was really important. And if, Jimmy, if just for two seconds, I want to take the people behind the scenes. Not every team in the league does it. Not every coach in the league does it. But the best coaching staffs, before the head coach addresses the media post-game, they will convene in a coach's office and they will say, here's two or three things we need to establish with the media, whether we want to get one of our players' attention, whether we want to get the league's attention, whether we want to build up somebody so that they're more confident going into the next game. There will always be different things that the smarter teams, the better coaches will try to establish. And I have to believe whether it was Kelly or whether it was Sacco or whether it was Donnie Sweeney, the people that work uh, very closely yeah. with Montgomery, yeah, that they didn't say something. And yeah. I thought Jimmy handled that, and I say this with respect from having walked in his shoes, I thought he handled it really, really well. Yeah, I agree. And look, I mean, that, that's something that, like you talked about, it gets even more present in the playoffs. It, it's gamesmanship, and it's, it's letting, you know, hey, we don't like this right now. And and I, I love what you just said there. He didn't come out and make a threat or anything, but he, he said, look, this has got to stop. And, and Pierre, this is something that, you know, we'll get to Crosby in a second, but this is something that's, I think starting to really get a little too out of hand right now in the league. And it's not just with stars. It's just with all players is guys running around, you know, just, doing whatever they feel like and not having to face the re repercussions and not getting penalized sometimes, let alone facing supplemental discipline. And I think the biggest one that we're talking about today is Nick Cousins last night, you know, for Florida. And it, now it's, it's Zucker who basically it was, we all know it was a retaliatory short shot. He did exactly what you told us last week that the guys are going to, if you don't stop, then I'm going after one of your guys. Mm -hmm. And that's that. And he did that. And now he's, facing potential supplemental discipline and Nick Cousins walks away free again. So is this something you think that the league is going to maybe try to reel in really soon? I think they're already on it. I do. And I have not spoken 
with Colin Campbell. I haven't spoken with Chris King. I haven't spoken with anybody in hockey operations. But like you, I watch a lot of games. And like mm -hmm. most of the fans, I watch a lot of games. And I have been in some of those meetings um, years ago. And I kind of know how it works. And I, I would say that, yeah, I would be shocked if they're not paying attention to this and if there's going to be some form of mandate. And it won't be a public thing. It'll be presented whether to the general managers or to the board of governors or to people that are in the coaching fraternity. It'll be taken care of. But I, I can see how this is going to have to be stopped pretty soon here. Yeah, because, I mean, A, you don't want people to get hurt. And B, I, I do see players are saying, all right, if you're not going to do anything about this, then we're going to do it. And that's that's when it gets well, no, You don't need vigilante justice. You know, one of the best lines I ever heard uh, was from Brian Burke. And, and he said back in the day when there was this stuff really was going on, uh, we need nuclear deterrence because we still want our skill guys to play. But if we don't have a nuclear deterrent, then the other team's just going to keep pile driving our star. So we made sure, and, and Brian was so good at that. I, Brian never had soft teams. He never did. Never, yeah. Maybe didn't always have winning teams, but he never had soft teams. You know, And if you look at that team that won the Stanley Cup for him in 2007 in Anaheim, they were tough. They were big. That was one of the toughest cup teams, I they, think. They were, like, Travis Mullen was a whole lot of nasty. I mean, they, yeah. they had a lot going on there. Christopher Pronger's not a shrinking violet. I had him when he was 19 <laughs> years old and he wasn't a shrinking violet. Yeah. I mean, so Francois Beauchemin was as nasty as there was. I mean, and he's just a big, strong, physically. He wasn't dirty. He just was a tough guy. Very terrible. Well, they had a lot of stuff going on there. In yeah. and, and Brian deserves a lot of credit for that team. But that was one of the best lines I ever heard. It was when Brian said, listen, we were going to have some young stars on our team, but we need nuclear deterrence to make sure they're not abused. And, and he was right. He was and, right. And wasn't he one of the ones, correct me if I'm wrong, Pierre, that, that really spoke out publicly when they pulled the instigator penalty, you know, when he's, he said, this is, this isn't going to go well. Like you, yeah. you're, you're almost giving a green light. Not, I, I don't know if these were his words, but he was basically saying, look, you're almost giving a green light to some of the, the, the player, the dirtier players in the league to get away with stuff when you do this. And, I don't have the exact words, but I just I know I remember him saying that and I and I loved it at the time and it's still yeah. so apropos right now. Um <laughs> yeah. One of his best conference, press conferences ever was when he was running the Vancouver Canucks and he didn't like the way the Sedines were getting beaten up, and they were too. And he had that press conference and it was priceless. If you haven't seen it, you should I'll go. Love to find it. Go find it. It's pretty special. Um and I can I can't even remember all the great moments from it, but it was really spectacular what he did. But no, um, you're right, Jimmy. In a lot of ways, this has to be taken care of. And I do believe um, there's enough people watching at hockey operations uh, that something was going to take place here. All right. Now, we're going to get to your questions. And I see them right there. We're going to get there very shortly. But Pierre, you and I are in agreement. We spoke about this. You, you touched on it earlier just now, about a half hour ago, that if the Pittsburgh Penguins – somehow get to where they thought they were going to be and make the playoffs and pull out of this mess that they've been in that, you know, Sidney Crosby has to be in the Hart Trophy conversation. And he, he, to be frank, I think he should be there right now. What he's doing at his age and, and just the way he continues. And, you know, we talk about superstars getting mauled and, and, and getting hacked. The way he continues to take that and battle through it and still persevere and still score goals down in front of the net there. 
you think of superstars, Pierre, and you think of like really skilled players, they're not always the guys that'll just go right in front of the net and take a beating like a like a big power forward or something. But Sidney Crosby does it, and he still does it, and he's not stopping. He, I, I, I'm left of superlatives to say about it. It's just it's unreal what he's doing this year, and I don't think it's getting enough enough love around the league right now. I'm going to go back to what I said about him in 2004. Okay. 2004, not 2024, 2004, 20 years ago. I said he's got the physical grit and the ability to dominate the puck down low like Peter Forsberg. Okay. Mm -hmm. And people thought I was nuts. I'm just telling you, and they may be there right. And then I said he also has a peripheral vision and the playmaking ability of Wayne Gretzky. And people said, okay, this is heresy. Stop. You know, and this is really before the internet became very large. But I'm telling you, in 2004, I said that about him. And it wasn't just because of what he did in Helsinki um, at the World Junior, which was mind-shattering as a 16-year-old. It was just to watch how he prepared himself. Mm. And so you could see, even at that age, at 16, the characteristics of Peter Forsberg, who was just a phenomenal, phenomenal player, a Hall of Famer, right away through and through Crosby was that same body type, same abilities, everything unbelievable. And then you add in the, the creativity the and the peripheral vision of, of Wayne Gretzky. I mean, has there been a player, Jimmy, you watch it like I do. Has there been a player in the last 30 years that have had the backhand passing skills that Sidney Crosby has? No, no, not I don't think close. so. Not even close. And, and so one of the great strengths of Gretzky Besides the fact that he was unbelievable, he was an amazing passer on the backhand. Mm -hmm. On his peripheral vision, he made every player around him better. It yep. didn't matter. And Crosby does the same thing. Look at yep. Jake Gensel. Look at Brian Rust. I mean, you can go down the line. Look at all the wingers he's had over time. Yep. It's it's unreal. And he's he's still doing it at this age. And, you know, God bless him, man. I'm, I'm lucky I'm going to see him tomorrow. The Penguins. Yes, you are. <laughs> yes, you are going to see him tomorrow. Look forward to that game. Um, all right, well, let's get to these questions around because, man, we got we got quite a few there. And Are we going to come up with a catchy slogan for the Wednesday that's, question? That's right. You know what? Thanks for reminding me, Pierre. We're going to call it Ask Away Wednesday. Ask so Away Wednesday. Ask Away Wednesday. We're, we're, we're psyched to answer these questions. It's really become probably our favorite part of uh, doing this podcast, Pierre. And I'm seeing over here, every time I look over to write in the little chat room in the comment section, a lot of Ovechkin stuff. A lot of Ovechkin stuff. A lot of people scored last night. Scored he last did. Night. He did. A lot of people wondering, though, you know, what has been going on with him. But let's get to some questions right now, guys. Pull one up if you could. Ooh, see? I like that. Nobody talks about McDavid passing. We all hear about Ovechkin. That's a great question. Yeah, well, we're a little early into it. But, John, that's a good question. It's fair. Uh, Connor's going to have to stay healthy. And, uh We'll see how that plays out. You know, yeah. again, they're still at the playoff. They are, give them credit, though, uh, under Chris Knobloch, they've really changed. Paul Coffey and Chris Knobloch have done a really good job coaching in, in Edmonton. Team's a lot better. Uh, but to say, will he pass Gretzky? I don't know. We'll see how healthy he stays. And, and uh, I think he's got a shot, but we'll see how healthy he stays. All right. What do we got next? Have you – Pierre, have you had the chance to talk to Ovi one-on-one -on -one recently? If so, what does he think about his season? No, I have not had a chance to talk to Ovi, but I've known him for a long time, respect the heck out of him. Uh, what I know is he's an amazing competitor, 
what I know is that he really cares about winning. Um, he misses, I think, Nick Backstrom so much, and that's really affected the Washington Capitals. Not just Alexander Ovechkin, it's affected the whole team. Um, I'd like to see him play with the same enthusiasm as he did last night. I thought his enthusiasm in Pittsburgh was phenomenal, especially after he scored. You can see they're trying to move him around a little bit on the power play. But, you know, Alex has been at this a long time, and I don't know if he will catch Gretzky or not, but I'll tell you one thing. He's going to give everything he has to get there. I know that. Pierre, I wonder, too, you know, you mentioned not having Baxter there, okay? You also have a new coach come in. They've also lost some other personnel that he was used to. I wonder if, because they have sort of changed their style. Um, I find them to be more defensive. Uh, they're they're more stressing uh, the defensive side because maybe they're lacking a bit of skill. They are missing Backstrom. How much is that? And I'm not I'm not making excuses for him at all because I'm sure he wouldn't make this excuse. So this isn't, you know, saying oh well he's 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 making this. No, I'm just calling it like I see it. Yeah. I wonder. If it's a matter of him adapting, like you said, not having Baxter there and adapting to a new coach, and it's tough the, when you get older to do that. And, and when you're used to playing one way and you're used to having that guy always feeding your, you the puck in the sweet spot, I wonder how much of that really is hurting him right now. Probably a little bit, but again, the one thing I'll say about him is he's going to give everything he can to, to try to get this team over the hump, and um, that's what I've all. The easiest thing for us to do would just be to body slam him and say he just doesn't have it anymore, and that's not true. That's not true at all, um, and I think you got to be fair to these players, and he's going through a difficult time, but I, I saw last night enthusiasm and energy that I think he needs to have because that's when he's – there's guys love to score. Everybody loves to score. Yeah. Alexander Ovechkin really likes to score. But I think, too, Sid brings that out in him, too, Pierre. Well, that, that's been going yeah. on for a long time. And yeah, that, people that. forget this. They always talk about Ovechkin and Malkin, or Ovechkin and Crosby. <clears throat> Ovechkin and Malkin is not a whole lot of fun either. Okay. Just just putting it out there. Yeah. And I, I've done enough games where Malkin's been really good, but for whatever reason, Ovechkin's gone right after him trying to take him apart. You yeah. Know? I mean, so – it's it's more than just Crosby when it comes to Pittsburgh and Washington. I think Malkin's involved in it too. It's funny you bring him up because I saw some quotes from him uh, last week, and Malkin was saying how he was grateful for Ovechkin and Crosby because he doesn't have to deal with as many losses as media, you know, because they're always going after him, and he's just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> just kick back after a game. I don't have to worry about you guys. So, oh, it's good stuff. All right, let's go to another question. All right, Jesse Jimenez says, uh, the NHL Bruins don't hold the first, second, or third round pick this year. Will it be difficult for Don Sweeney to be a real player at the deadline? I see them being aggressive in NCAA free agency, which he has been before. Yeah, I agree with that. That's such a good question by Jesse. Really, really smart. Um, and I agree with that. I can see them being aggressive in free agency. And remember this, players that are drafted can still become free agents um, and – that's going to be something. That's going to be an interesting market to track uh, if teams don't sign drafted players. And so, um, I, I'm going to be very interested to see how the Bruins play it this year. Um, and I think you're because you're around that team all the time. Look at Mason Lowry. Yep, he, he's done a tremendous job for them. And, and Mercula, yeah, yeah, well, we talked about him the other day. Yeah, 
you know, out of Ohio State. I think at some point he does get a chance to come up and play. Well, he's been I, there for the last few games, but he's, he's – But I mean play, play. Yeah, like, yeah he hasn't really done much, yeah. Yeah, let's go play. So I, I here's the one thing that always irked me. If you got a guy that's ripping it up in the American Hockey League, Jimmy, don't play him as a checker. Bring him up and play him in the role okay. that he's good at. All right. This, this guy's a point getter. Yep. But here's my thing, Pierre, and I'm with you on that. Do do the Bruins have besides – so I look at the Bruins, right? And I don't, right. don't want to veer off quickly because I want to keep getting the questions here. But right. I look at the Bruins, and I look at sort of the combos that, that Montgomery's really been tw- trying to find. I think he's finally found – you know, he's got – Marshan and Coyle really seem to click together, right? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he's got Pasta and Zaka. So I see it as, all right, my only place I'd put him there – is is and they have put Zaka on the wing recently. As you slide him between Pasta and Zaka, I don't know if they want to if they believe enough in him yet to to give him those minutes to get. It. But you're saying just throw it right in, go for it. You know the, the way I look at it. Sometimes kids do a lot of training with the life jacket on, and mm-hmm. at some point they need to get in the deep end without the life jacket. Okay. And I think this guy's got enough of a life jacket in the American Hockey League that he can go in the deep end in the NHL and try it. And if he can't do it, there's a lifeguard there. It's called the head coach. Pull him out and put him on the bench. Okay. But I'd give him a shot. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see what they do. That's a good point by you. Uh, let's go to the next question. Yes. So is starting to have some dominant shifts, controlling the flow mm-hmm. of the game. By the way, we we warned you Canadians fans, be patient with him. What's Pierre's ceiling for Slavkovsky in terms of points, goals per season? I, I think he can be a 30 to 35 goal scorer. I think he can be a 65 to 75 point player, but I think he can be a power forward that's going to create room for Cole Caulfield, for Nick Suzuki. If you watch the game with Dallas last night, I know he gets credit for one assist, but really three plays, three goals a game scorer, he's a big part of all three yeah. uh, because of his physicality, his board play, and his strength on the puck. Give him another year. Wait wait for another year. I watch, I watch this guy. Wait here, too. He, he, I don't think he's done. With no, no, you, know what, you know what I mean, Jimmy. I watched him a ton his draft year, and yep. I, I marveled at how big and strong he was playing in a situation in Turku where he was only on the third line. He never really got big minutes. You could see this guy was going to be a dominant, dominant player. So I, I think the ceiling's very high for him. I do too, and I like I, I love what's going on with him right now too. We we were talking about this off air today too, Pierre. We don't know what's going to happen with them. They're likely not making the playoffs. Yeah. But I just like that, even if it if this whole scenario ends next week and they're out of it, right? Because that's how it could go. I mean, they could very well fall out of it within the next week or two, and that's that. Just that he and the other young guys in that team have been able to sort of taste a, just a little bit of that excitement of being in a race. I think it's great, and, and it's only going to get better for these guys. And I know I know Canadians fans are getting restless. I understand it, but this is all part of the process. You, you, you got to just have faith, and you, you got to move forward. Watch You watch Slavkoski. You watch Struble. You watch Gooley score last night. You watch Jordan Harris score last night. You're starting to see the pieces, the chess pieces are starting to come together for this team. You know, New Hook's hurt. When he comes back, he's going to make a difference on this team. Uh, Kirby Dock's going to make a difference on this team. Yeah. The Canes, uh, Mesar, who we saw in the World Junior, uh, playing phenomenal. Uh, you know, look at all the Jacob Fowler for Team USA. And go, the Canadians are going in the right direction. It's just you got to be a little bit more patient. 
because they're in a tough neighborhood. Yeah. The Atlantic Division is a tough neighborhood. And, and lay off Lane Hudson. I People are saying I haven't really oh my gosh. He not delivering it for Team USA. I'm like, oh. are you kidding me? I mean, it's, it's, come on. Oh. On every play. Like, oh, it's unbelievable. Don't oh, worry. Guys. When your power play is running at about 24 to 27% and Lane Hudson's running it, you'll be really happy. Yeah, don't worry. It's going to be a lot worry. different. Trust me. All right, next question. Do you think it's a foregone conclusion? This is from Alex Avanoski. Do you think it's a foregone conclusion San Jose gets the first overall pick? Do you think Chicago or Columbus could catch them? Well, first of all, we have a lottery, so. Yeah. Yeah. It's no foregone conclusion for anybody. No, but, I mean, the truth of the matter is San Jose's not in a good way right now. They showed a little flash and dance before Christmas, but they've hit the wall again. I watched their game with Detroit last night. They gave, they gave a good effort. They really they just don't have enough. Mm -hmm. um, and their farm team's struggling too. Um, so I know that they're going to be super proactive. I think it was Jesse, Jesse the one questioner asking about yeah. college free agents. I wouldn't be surprised to see San Jose be a real player in that marketplace. I would yeah. not be surprised to see that at all. Considering their GM too as a former Boston University. And, and think and think about one other thing. The guy that's doing a lot of the college free agency work there, Scott Fitzgerald. Yep. Tommy's he, brother from New he Jersey. Did a lot of it with the Boston Bruins. Yeah, he did. He does a great job for them. I'm, I'm happy for him out there. Um, all right, let's go to the next question. From Fishing, are the Coyotes buyers this year, or the, will they be watching other teams this year? I think they're buyers, Jimmy. I think they're buyers. I think, so too. I think yeah, they're you know, buyers. Billy Armstrong was asked directly, Pierre, at the uh, recently somewhere. I, I don't know if it was Elliot Freeman or somebody asked him, and he played all, I don't know. I don't know. Well, he's watching the World Junior like everybody else, and yeah. they've got a stockpile of players playing at the World Junior. Maverick Lamoureux is one of those guys, or Lamoureux, yeah. I should say. He, he's. They're buying oh, seven defensemen that can skate. He's going to be in the NHL real soon. Yeah. Um, and that's just one example. No, they're, they're really good uh, long-term. I think if they really want to make a statement, they're going to be buyers. They're not going to be sellers. And Pierre, you know what else too? And I'm not saying that this would make him be a buyer, but it will help is this is the first time they've really had some excitement over that team there. I mean, it, I've talked to people that are out there living there right now and they're like, yeah, you can't get a ticket. I mean, I want to go see the Coyotes. And they're, they're having trouble getting tickets to Coyotes games now. So you think about the That's kids big. that we have, though. You know, Clayton Keller's still a kid in my eyes. Logan Cooley's just a kid. And, and oh. so you, you know, Michelli is a tremendous player. Nobody yep. talks about that guy. He's no. one of the best-kept secrets in the league. So they, they've got a lot of good things going on there. Connor Ingram's been really good in goal for them. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, they, they're probably – have so much excitement in their marketplace that they want to keep building on it. I think they will. I really do. Uh, and Jesse uh, just commented there in the comment section saying, J.J. Moser, an amazing non-household defenseman. So, no, but he, you know what? He's he's right about J.J. Moser. J.J. Moser is a really yeah. solid player. Very, very yeah. solid. Yep. All right. Let's go to the next question. Question for Pierre from Matthew Kazar, I hope I pronounced your name right. What is going on with Huberto? Can we expect a buyout in the upcoming years? First, before you answer, Pierre, you know, he did score his first goal in a while the other day. And I don't know if you know if you saw what happened and who he credited. He credited Mark Savard for teaching him to do a new tape job. And for those out there that don't know, when Mark Savard retired, he started to do these YouTube videos that really took off of how to tape sticks. And so it became a big phenomenon. 
And now uh, apparently he helped uh, Huberto, and Huberto's crediting him for that goal. But does Jonathan have five? I think he's got five goals this year. I think if I remember correctly. Yeah. But um, no, I don't know if they're going to buy him out or not. But he's clearly not playing to the level yeah. that they were expecting when they got him, and then when they signed him. And Mackenzie Weger's been solid for them. But that trade's just such a one-way slanted trade. Matthew Kachuk or Jonathan Huberto. Yeah, you know, I know. I know. It's it's gonna be tough. I hope he does because that guy. I, I hope he, I, look at he's a really good. He's a good kid. Yeah, he he's really a good is good kid. But I, I just, you know, I feel bad. It's not. He didn't ask for the trade. No. He didn't ask to be traded no. there. You know. Yeah. All right. Let's get to the next question. Hey guys, thanks for doing these episodes. It's from Brandon Parker. Thank you. Thank you, Brandon, for listening. Question is. Do you think Hughes and Gordon can land sign a top UFA in the near future? It's really, it's, so that's really hard. And the reason why it's hard in, in Canada, especially in the province of Quebec, uh, are taxation issues, mm -hmm. cost of living issues. Uh, it's really, it's, it's a lot harder than people think. And usually when guys become unrestricted free agents, they're later in their career. So it's, you know, their prime earning years are past and it's not that easy to do. It's, it's, can they do it? Yeah, I mean, but they haven't had a long laundry list of successful UFA free agents that have gotten them to the promised land. It's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, we'll see. They can make trades, though. That's the way they could do it. Well, that's how you have to do it. You got to make deals, and you have to draft and develop. Yep. And that's one of the things I think they're doing really well right yep. now, they're drafting and developing. My only – again, my, I have a concern, um, you know, with Laval just – They've got to start to play some more important games uh, and get more relevant in the standings. But usually the second half of the year, that's when the American Hockey League really starts to heat up. All right. We're going to take, I think, about three more. Let's do it. We'll get next. John Little asking, have you guys talked about Canada's trouble with developing star NHL caliber goaltending? Man, I never thought in my lifetime I'd hear that question, but it, it's a good point. Well, now it's different, obviously. I mean, I, I've come from the days when Marc-Andre Fleury was – Number one overall pick, Patrick Roy, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. six and eighty-nine run, Marty Brodeur, uh, Jose Theodore. You know, <clears throat> Canada developed a lot of goalies too for a long time. Uh, it, it's probably more cyclical now, uh, but there's definitely a need for Canada to produce better goalies. I mean, I can tell you one thing: um, if you look at the Americans right now, especially at the World Junior level, with Augustine and Fowler. Yeah. Both those guys are going to play in the NHL. One yep. guy's owned by Detroit. The other guy's owned by Montreal. That's why when I tell people, oh, that Atlantic division is a tough neighborhood, if you start doing a really deep dive into Buffalo or into Montreal or into Ottawa or into Detroit, into Tampa, into Florida, and you start to see what some – Toronto even, you start to see what some of these teams have. Boston, <clears throat> some of these teams have so much underneath their top layers, yep. but especially in goal. I mean, that's yeah. the one thing, especially in goal. I'm with you on that. All right, another question here. From Matthew Kazar again, are the least serious cup contenders? Please say no. I'm guessing Matthew's a Habs fan. Not, not, <laughs> until, not until they fix their goaltending in their defense. Yeah. Geez. I mean, they're not gonna, in the playoffs, you're not going to outscore your, your way out of problems. And, and that's one of the things they do really well. Now, to be fair, they played a really smart game last night, I thought, in Los Angeles. They played a really, really smart game. And the Kings are a good team, and they shut them out in L.A. The Kings are better on the road, though, Jimmy, than they are at home. I was just going to say that. I was just going to say that to you, Pierre. It's crazy. It's crazy. But uh, 
but I don't think they're legitimate contenders until they make a real big statement about either upgrading their defense or upgrading their goaltending. And, and I love the goaltending there too, because I was I was watching a clip of him before we came on here. Uh, Trey Living was just talking from the other day when they when they sent uh, Sam Sonoff down, and he's saying, "No, we're sending him down there to get a reset." It, when I feel like out of all the positions, that is the top, obviously the toughest position to reset when you're in the midst of something that Samsonov is in right now. We saw it with Campbell. He hasn't really reset, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I don't, off the top of my head, I can't think of a guy that got a, a number one goalie that got sent down because he was going through a slump. I can't think of a guy that really dug himself out of it until he was on another team, Pierre. It, it, I, I went through this in Ottawa uh, with Matt Murray. Uh, I'll never forget it. We had started a West Coast road trip. We were in San Jose. We should have won the game. We didn't. Um, you know, we, we were in Colorado before that. We should have won the game. We didn't. Um, we went down to Anaheim. We definitely should have won the game. We didn't. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not on one person, but goaltending wasn't as good as the oppositions in all three of those losses. And so after the game in Anaheim, we were heading back up to L.A. because we were playing there two days later or a day later. Um, I remember DJ Smith, the general manager in Ottawa, and myself bringing Matt Murray into a room and, and sending him, telling him he was going down to the American Hockey League. And um, Matt, to his credit, didn't complain. It was a very intense meeting, but he handled it like a gentleman. I'm telling you, he was really, really uh, good in how he handled it. Uh, I know we talked on the phone a fair bit. I talked to his representatives on the phone a fair bit too. Um, and he went down there and did his chores. And Justin Peters is a goalie coach in Belleville. And they did great things together. And Matt came back. Did he ever come back to the level of being a Stanley Cup winner? No, I can't say that he did. But did he come back better? He did. He came back okay. better because he went there and did his chores. And he worked with a really good goalie coach in Justin Peters. And he paid attention and respected it. So lots on the on the on the goalie just to yeah. accept. You got to accept it. You got to accept it. Not an easy thing. I mean, can you imagine that Murray's got two Stanley Cups? He's making a whack of money. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's hard. They're human. They are, and that's the hard part of the business. That again, I feel blessed to have been in this business for as long as I have. But I also like to think you never lose the ability to respect people. Yep. And you know, they have families, they have parents, they have children, they have significant others. All those people are hurting your the decisions that you make. They're affected by it. Yeah. And so even though you got to make the hard ones and it's painful to do, you still have to respect the people that you're making the decisions about. Once you lose that, I think you've lost your way as a hockey executive. I really do. And by the way, I really I don't you can go check out the clip. It's on TSN there. I, I did love the way that Trey Living handled yeah. that press conference i thought he did exactly what you're talking about right now you could hear and tell the sincerity he had and the concern he has for the young samsonov Uh, most people not all jimmy and i'll just most people that are in positions of authority in the national hockey league have had somebody tell them you're no longer good enough to play you your dream is over Mm -hmm. i've been through it uh, when I was in New Jersey's camp, I remember them telling me, you're going to the minors, your career's never going to be in the NHL. Brad's gone through it. Um, you know, I, I can go over all. we got Kenny Holland's gone through it. I, just Ray Shiro drafted by L.A., he's gone through it. Um, everybody that's 
the decision makers, they, Tommy Fitz has gone through. I mean, Donnie Sweeney was told it's over. You know, yeah. they all, everybody, so you kind of know what the guy's going through. And if you don't, shame on you. Yeah, for sure. All right, look, I think we got to close the questions here, but I do want to mention one that wasn't able to come through here, but he, he did hit me up on Twitter. And that's Norm, uh, Pierre, asking you to take me to your favorite watering hole, Kilkenny Pub in Keene, New Hampshire. Yep. Tell us about the Kilkenny. Oh, there we go. Uh, it's very easy to do. Um, Norm is a passionate hockey fan. I spent a lot of, I think, three straight summers um, watching the U.S. Uh, National New England Regional Camp there, uh, which is a precursor to kids going to the National Development Program. And, uh, you know, I happened to be there, not just scouting, but I was there watching my son, too, who was invited to it. Um, but after all the sessions were over, I'd go visit Norm and his friends. Great. And I, the first time I went in there, Jimmy, I'd be honest, I was running baseball and I was trying to low key it and yeah. you know, just watch a little, cause it's a summertime, maybe watch some Red Sox or whatever. And the guy goes, you're Pierre Maguire. I go, I am. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, I'm a big hockey fan. And we started talking and I think it was three or four straight summers. I actually stopped in there. My daughter went to Dartmouth and a couple of times when I drive up from Connecticut, I'd go through there and I'd stop in and say hello. Uh, on my way to Dartmouth. So yeah. it's a nice, it's a beautiful place in Keene, New Hampshire. And uh, the Guinness is really good. They pour a really good Guinness there. Awesome. I remember too, Pierre, I think it was a few years back when you did start going there. He hit me up on Twitter and he, did, <laughs> he said, he said, Hey, I brought you up to Pierre and he spoke pretty highly of you. So you must be doing something right. And I oh, said, Oh, that's good. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And here we are. Here we are doing the podcast together years later. So I don't know, Pierre, about you. I, I feel maybe a remote is in the works down the line at the Kilkenny. We'll see. I, I, you know what? I think we should do a remote. Those college Fridays, on-campus Fridays, I really think we should be doing remote from some of these colleges. Well, I really do. I, yeah. I, the college game is going in such a good direction right now. Yep. You watch, Just watch the World Junior. Even if a kid's not from Canada or the United States, look at how many teams have – the Finns or the yeah. Slovaks or the Czechs. Go look at how many kids are playing college hockey or yeah. playing major junior, but they're coming over. Um, yep. I think it's great. I really yeah, do. Yeah, and we want to thank a lot of the college folks out there that are in the game uh, telling us that they're really enjoying these. That means a lot to us. Yeah, it really does. We're, we're trying wait. to promote the game. Jimmy, I'll be in Orono, Maine, Friday and Saturday. I'm so jealous. I know. I can't wait. I have heard I've got to get – that's on the bucket list. I'm telling you, that is on my hockey bucket Alphonse list. Alphonse Arena is a special Alphonse place. Alphonse Arena. You know who would love that is Jeremy Swayman. Yeah, uh, Jeremy would. And yep. you told Jeremy. I, I saw will. him play there. Hey, how many guys can say they were the MVP of the Hockey East and then, I don't know how long later, maybe a couple minutes later, they're playing for the Boston Bruins. Yep. <laughs> that's a pretty good start. Yeah, 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 for sure. He's very proud of his main roots for sure. All right, guys, well, we appreciate it. And by the way – Got to apologize. My bad. A good old rookie mistake from the veteran here. I uh, forgot. I was sending out the YouTube link in the beginning here, and I forgot to exit out of my, uh, my window here. So I apologize for the song continuing. But by the way, we want to give a, a little credit there uh, to that song. It's uh, our guys from the, the Pittsburgh show. Jordan York, host of the sick podcast Steelers Crazy, uh, is the one rapping in that sick podcast intro song. So nice job there, Jordan. I will say, though, sorry about your Steelers this year. I know it's been a tough year. Um, but, uh, oh, Pierre, by the way, you know, we're getting down to the crunch time. I know you're a football fan. 
Um, and I know I heard you talking about it uh, on uh, Melnick's show uh, yesterday uh, that you were watching the Rose Bowl and the, and the Sugar Bowl and the Bowl game. So uh, before I forget, and, and I'm going to give you my – got a pick for the national championship? Yeah, I do. Um, I'll take Michigan out of respect to Red Berenson and Adam Fantilli and Brian Wiseman, who's an assistant coach with the San Jose Sharks. Um, I will take Michigan because of those guys, and I think they'll just beat Washington. But I hated recruiting against Michigan. No. <laughs> yeah. recruiting in any sport i imagine right i mean uh, it, i can't speak to the other sports but i know one thing we did some pretty good battle when i was at st Lawrence, and they're just yeah. coming up under red red did an amazing job there red well, parents and well, i I'm, i might get sick to my stomach as i say this because i'm a diehard notre dame fan growing up but i'm going to take michigan too I said it. I said it. That's it. But and I, I mean, you can't. They look great, and uh, they're on to something there. The question is, will they have their coach next year? Does does he end up maybe here? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We All, right. see. <laughs> All right. Well, listen. Great show. We appreciate you joining us here on Ask Away Wednesday on the Eye Test on the Sick Podcast Network. And remember, now this is the beginning. Now we are live now every Monday through Friday. So that means tomorrow. And Friday, we will be live in this time slot at 4 o'clock. Usually go to about 5, 5.15, and uh, we hope you can join us. And we'll still take some questions when we can in those episodes as well, even if it's not a Wednesday. But we appreciate all our listeners, and you, you've enabled us to get to this point where we are doing this. Yeah. And we're psyched to work with the Sick Podcast Network, and uh, we're really looking forward to this uh, going forward. Monday to Friday, 4 o'clock Eastern here on the iTest on the Sick Podcast Network. He's Pierre McGuire. I'm Jimmy Murphy. We'll talk to you tomorrow. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the eye test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.